You're listening to the Designer Journals with Liv. That working culture affected my health quite yeah. significantly. I think in practice, it needs to be seen in the top positions. They need to be the role models. Mm-hmm. In, um, it, for an example, to do with long working hours yeah. culture. And sitting at your desk for 15 hours sluggish is not productive. Like. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast and thank you for tuning in. I'm having a bit of a hot mess minute here because I've tried to record this like 17 times and I just keep messing it up. So hopefully this one works. But quick wrap up on what I've been doing the last couple of weeks. I have attended the 500 Women in Property Program wrap up event. So I was a participant in that program which was huge um, for me in meeting people this year they organized a whole bunch of coaching sessions events big and small to um, you know support upcoming people in the or not people women in the construction um, industry property and property industry which has been really cool so really enjoyed that and I also Oh, I was involved in organising the last lean-in session, which the Institute put on. You might have seen that online. It was um, by – the speaker was Amanda Blessing and it was hosted by Michael Linky. And he – they uh, – the topic was on negotiating the pay gap um, be- because I learned that in architecture the gender pay gap um, starts um, only a couple of years um, – what am I trying to say? It starts – pretty much right at entry graduate level. So, you know, by a couple of years in, the gap between a man and a woman's pays is um, something like 12%. um, I'm really getting these numbers wrong. Anyway, it's not good. So the session was on, you know, how you can sort of understand where you're at, negotiate and educate yourself on – what you can do as a person to increase your skills and get paid more and um, sort of support um, supporting mechanisms for that as well. So it was really interesting. It is recorded so you can go on the Institute website and find that. Um, And it was also a segue into me um, uh, putting on LinkedIn officially that I am a member of the um, Institute National Committee for Gender Equity, which was really exciting. Um, I joined in June and there was an application process to get through that. So I was really, really stoked I got it because I kind of sent in my application and was like, whatever, this is not going to work. Um, if anything, it was just nice to look back on my last couple of years and see what I've done. Um, so when I got chosen, um, I was, yeah, super stoked. And I'm the only one in SA. Um, the committee is national, like I said. So there's um, pretty much someone from every state except Northern Territory and Tasmania. Um, so yeah, there's a good mix of people on there, men and women and really diverse group. And I am the youngest one on the committee. Um, so I kind of bring a emerging perspective, I would say, to the issues, um, that come up and there's a lot of them relating to gender equity. It's not just about getting more women 
in the industry and keeping them there but you know also from me at a graduate level get having um feeling valued and like you've got a seat at the table at an entry level as well I think is really important whether you're um, man or woman I think that's a very um crucial part of people um saying in architecture as well so more on that as I continue to work with the committee and yeah understand more and more of what they do I could do an episode on that perhaps um but it leads um it's a nice segue into introducing our the guest my guest I guess um so I've got Alison McFadden on this episode I uh, met her at uni yeah she was my tutor in first year but I didn't really speak in first year or acknowledge any of my lecturers and tutors because I was scared of them so I didn't make myself known to her at that point but then I had her again um in third year the second time I did third year so it was studio six I believe and yeah so I had her then and then um I reconnected with her a couple years later once I'd already been in practice for a a couple years at a parlor event so she runs the um seasonal parlor sessions um and she is also an an associate of parlor now so I have a little bit of info on her here um so she's been in architecture for 14 years worked in multiple architectural practices in SA um, and at a project management firm in a national role. Uh, She's got a wide range of experience um, across educational, health, institutional, commercial, um, laboratory and residential. Um, And she is currently um, completing her PhD at the University of Melbourne on women in leadership within the profession and is um, tutoring at UniSA as well. Um, so she graduated in 2009 um, in, with a Master of Architecture and completed registration in 2013. And in 2016, Ali won the Nawik Young Achiever in Construction Award. And in 2018, she won the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architect Prize for SA. So she's amazing. She has got so much wisdom and knowledge. And this chat, we get into some good topics about um working long hours and being productive um the importance of registration especially for women um and yeah a couple yeah we touched a few times on um health and wellness in architecture because it did have a negative effect on Ali at some point in her career and so she opened up about that um which is really um really really eye-opening um you know our our jobs are a huge part of our lives, but at the end of the day, they don't define us. And I think it can be hard to remember that because work takes up so much of our life, I guess. But, you know, we talk about how we really both believe that, you know, work is um, it's not something that defines us. We need these other avenues of our interests and our hobbies and even socialising. We need all that other stuff to, I guess, fill our cups so that when we come to work, where it like work is adding something that adds to our life it's not something that takes away from our life um so I think we're all trying to figure out how to do that and it ebbs and flows um and yeah I hope you enjoy the episode and let's bring in Ali welcome to the podcast (laughs) thanks for being here Ali um let's start from the beginning and just how did architecture come into 
your world and how did you start that journey? Uh, For me, it was when I was quite young, my uncle was an architect. And so I was always the kid. People, you know how they draw the houses with the chimney and the flowers? Yeah. I was drawing floor plans, (laughs) making families and drawing floor plans at about the age of five. Um, And then in school, I always did art and design. So it seemed quite natural to have a crack at architecture. So I went straight from school into to UniSA mm-hmm. um, and, it, yeah, it went from there. That's so cool that you knew what it was like at that early of an age. Not everyone has that. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I saw him drawing and yeah. remember getting like AutoCAD 92 or something <laughs> to try on my computer. Um, and I did work experience at Bates Smart and Pedal Thorpes in Melbourne in cool. Year Ten, so wow. I'd had a bit of a taste of it before yeah. I went to uni. Did yeah. you do much like at work experience at that age? At Bates Smart, I believe I got to pick like the colours of a security office in the basement of a mega tower for South Bank. I think it was called Freshwater Place at yeah. the time, um, and the, the other place it was just a student project but it was interesting being immersed in those um offices bait smart were in the um ici house which was the first multi-story building in melbourne it was oh, also cool. the same building my dad worked in so it was rather convenient <laughs> that's cool that's so yeah. cool <laughs> and how did you find uni when um the whole uni experience when you got there was it you know what you expected or a bit of a shock I loved uni. I think it was because I had I grew up in Melbourne, so I moved here at the end of school. So I was making new friends, so it was perfect timing. And some of my friends, my closest friends now, are from my uni days. Yeah. So I think I really liked it from the social side of things yeah. and finding people with similar values and interests. Um, but no, I really liked uni and I started working in practice from about – third year and to the extent I've pretty well been a sessional staff member then at UniSA since finishing um, way back in 09. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always enjoyed the connection with the uni. Yeah so you finished your studies in Melbourne I think? Um, I was in Melbourne until year 11 and year 12 I was in Adelaide. Oh yeah yeah. Yeah studied at UniSA from then. Yeah oh cool and how was like working as a student while studying um like for you like was it like a really enriching experience like confirmed what you were doing kind of thing yeah I think it went hand in hand so I I got a job at um Tropo Architects initially it started out as work experience and then when that was finishing the directors were away and the others were like I'll oh, just keep coming in and three and a half years later <laughs> I was still working there <laughs> But Tropo was a brilliant grounding, I think, as a student. I'd always had interest in the environment um, and sustainability. And it kind of went hand in hand with doing uni work, but then learning through the lens of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the, uh, the the key topics that are important to Tropo aligned with my values. So. Mm-hmm. I found it really enjoyable. Yeah. Did it help you, like, I guess, bridge the gap between uni and practice? Because not everyone gets to work while they're studying. Um, like, did you find what you were learning at uni, like, helped you, like, as you were working, like, in those early years? Yeah, it went both ways. I, I think I got um, 
the kind of the practice management experience side of things earlier and it started help, helping me connect the dots between what you were doing mm-hmm. at uni versus what happens in practice is because some of for example the contract administration work I'm a big believer you need you need to just be doing it it's not something you can yeah, read in you can't or, teach. Or, be, yeah. or be taught so um and I was really lucky one of the projects I um one of the architects at Truffle at the time um, I was helping him on the eco-housing, the social housing project at Whitmore Square um, way back when and helping him out with the contract admin from early on and seeing that building come together um, was a really valuable experience. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. And then how, and moving on from that firm, you found yourself then working at a couple other places? Yes, I was at Hamesharley for a little while and it was really, um, I loved it at Troppo, but I just wanted um, a different experience mm. working on some commercial yeah. uh, buildings, which I got. I, I went from quite small-scale residential to Wyala Hospital redevelopment and then <laughs> Adelaide Oval redevelopment, which were both um, brilliant projects to work on and then I later ended up in a practice which was probably somewhere between where I was at for a number of years mm-hmm. um, and I actually so we're sitting in the Jeffrey Smart building at uni at the <laughs> moment and absolutely career highlight for me is working on this yeah. building when I was at Phillips Pilkington in collaboration with um, John Wardle Architects. Um, Such an iconic experience like to have. (laughs) Yeah, and it contributed um, significantly to my registration hours for my logbook for contract admin and um, I was working under Sue Phillips, the director at the time, and mentor and also had a pretty well an all-woman project team, Minnie and Amanda from John Wardle Architects, Project Architect and Interior, and that was important to me at the time because I'd often been working under men so it was good to see how yeah um, women working in construction um go about go about work yeah is it that whole you know women in construction is a big you know movement and topic that was at the forefront of a lot of our minds at this time is it something you went knew about going into practice or is it something you just kind of observed as you were going about life I guess no I was totally blind to it so I grew up in a family of three girls I was the oldest never made to feel I couldn't achieve anything because of my gender Mm -hmm. at uni it wasn't by then like it was you know the gender balance was on par I didn't feel like it was yeah something was brought up then it it slapped me in the face as soon as I was out in the industry I was suddenly like oh my where have all the women you just noticed yeah and I kind of was in those early I was actively involved in um the institute and that's how I got involved in parlor to mm-hmm. try to make those connections but um absolutely career change for me and working under Sue Phillips and seeing um, a woman she was a director of the practice getting to work a lot with her was important to me in my career growth mm-hmm. um yeah important. was there like some situations where you just sort of realized that being a woman in this industry was at some point like in some ways a disadvantage or like did that weigh on you as you were you know figuring things out in the early career stages um I think it went both ways for me I was acutely aware that mm. like when you're on a construction site and there's 200 people you and you're only a like, yeah um <laughs> you, <laughs> you feel different <laughs> um 
And but same in like still in uh, consultant meetings within some practices. Um, yeah, there's different dynamics to that. Um, but now I've and I've like the discrimination is still there. You still see a purely mm. there's still a gender pay gap, which you yeah. see with um, the stats that have been coming out through Wajia. Yeah. Like it's there that equals discrimination. But I think in the last ten years, pra- there are some practices that have come a long way, mm-hmm. and it's noticeable. This are you, are you seeing more women in the senior positions? Like things are changing, but it's based on the rate. The graduation rates have been almost on par from the nineties. But still, there's um, see more men in those senior positions. Mm, yeah, because it's something that I didn't, yeah, think about either until I got out there. Because yeah, uni is like fifty fifty, and then you yeah come out into the real world, and yeah, it's something that you, you pick up on. Yeah, I worked um, with some men in those senior positions, and they're absolutely brilliant. But for me, it was really important to, at the time, especially in my younger years of graduating seeing women successful in those positions and how they conduct themselves, which was often quite different but equally successful. Mm -hmm. I needed that at that particular time. Yeah, yeah. And what motivated you to um, get involved? Like um, you mentioned Fala and, you know, that stems from your institute involvement. Um, Yeah, how did that sort of come about? Um, I had a – I was asked to be um, their first seasonal salon in Adelaide. I was paired with, as one of the speakers, with Rachel Hurst. And so I, um, Rachel taught me at uni, and I just think the world of her. <laughs> um, and then Justine, so one of the co-founders yeah. of Parlour and Director, was looking for some assistance in each of the states just to help roll out the salons because at that time she was looking after them all around mm. Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know about them before they got like invited to speak at one of them? They had only just. I was one of the first ones. That was way back in two thousand and seventeen, <laughs> um, and so um, yeah, I put my hand up to help locally here, and because I'm a little bit competitive, they were quite regular in the eastern states, mm-hmm. but not yet picked up in Adelaide. So I got them happening here with Justine's assistance, making sure we hit every season, mm-hmm. every season, yeah. or every year, <laughs> and we did. Yeah, um, and they keep rolling out now. Now I help Parla roll out the program nationally, yeah. which is fantastic. I've met the most amazing people through that program because mm. of it. It's a powerful like piece of work, yeah, that they're doing. Yeah, I like the conversations because mm-hmm. they're honest, and it's often not the polished things that you hear out Mm. in the media or um, public conversation but it's often the personal experiences of especially to do with career progression which um and grads all the way through to senior yeah um, women within the profession can relate to it yeah it's interesting I went to my first one two years ago I think um and I remember, like, yeah, seeing, like, how it was set up, just a very informal chat with, like, lots of questions. And I was just like, oh, man, that's exactly what I want to do for the podcast. Like, that kind of, you know, vibe where you just, yeah, having a discussion. Because not everyone can always make those sorts of events. And so, yeah, it was a really cool cool thing that they're doing. <laughs> um, so what else are you involved in at the moment? You're working on your PhD? 
Yeah, so I've, um, I'm still associated with um, SFMA. I've just stepped away. I'm on their board. I've just stepped away from being responsible for clients mm-hmm. and projects to yeah. pursue um, a research opportunity that came up with uh, through Melbourne Uni. So yeah. I've, been, I've started that this year and that's a massive <laughs> change in the experience. Of, it's been an interesting but hard challenge. Yeah. It's quite... Um, quite new like a different way of studying (laughs) yeah but it's interesting because I'm looking at um, women's career progression in architecture within Australia so something I care about a lot yeah Um, and then also doing the work with parlor and sessional staff member Mm -hmm. at UniSA so a bit of a mix at the moment yeah (laughs) it sounds like you're very busy And so what drove, um, like, did your passion sort of for the subject matter of women and career progression um, lead you to wanting to do a PhD um, in it? Or, like, how did they kind of marry each other Yeah, I think experiences within practice over nearly 15 years combined with um, what I was privy to through um, doing work with Parla Mm -hmm. um, became a strong interest. Um, And then thinking about how I might be able to make a difference in that space and challenge myself a little bit more and do mm-hmm. something new. Yeah. And then the PhD opportunity came up yep. through that. Yeah, yeah. Are you able to expand on any of your, like, findings or things that you're thinking about? At the moment, because it's the first year, just working through to confirmation, it's really um, kind of heavily in the literature side mm. of things and getting up to speed with what's being done now to find yeah. the gap and how I'm going to go about um, that research. But it goes hand in hand with some of the things that um, I've been helping out with Parlor on. Mm-hmm. So we're updating the guides to equitable practice, which were written nearly 10 years ago. Okay. Um, and again, it's a good anecdotal indicator that the profession is changing because mm-hmm. we've recently had... Uh, focus groups and reviews on what things need to be updated. So changes, positive changes happening from an equity position, but also highlighted the issue that there's still some serious issues in the industry, like yeah. the culture of long hours as an example. If yeah. anything, yeah. COVID and flex is maybe exacerbating that at the moment rather than um, um, getting better. Mm, yeah. And, like, are you in analysing your research, is there any, like, um, data that points towards certain cities in Australia being better or worse than like other places to work in or, or achieving some sort of equity in the practice? Um, not necessarily through um, uh, firm data through the research that I'm doing at the moment, but again, anecdotally, anecdotally some, potentially some of the states that um, were hit harder from COVID um, and then bigger practices have some pretty amazing flex policies that have been put in place mm-hmm. whereas in South Australia we weren't necessarily hit as hard and same with WA yeah um so the lessons may not be as strong or the benefits mm. in why flex is important yeah. I feel flex is important because I spent 10 years in the industry working my backside off way yeah. too hard not realizing it could have effects on your health and it did for me to the point where I couldn't work full-time for mm-hmm. a while mm-hmm. and flex was important because you end up with health issues that you need to manage on a day-to-day 
perspective, but also it helps you out with your work life. Yeah, just balance. Like life the happier the, your employees are, the better they're potentially going to perform at work, and the fact that you don't need to be there at a desk 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's lots of things that have come out of that that are interesting, but equally, if with technology and flex, if you're someone that struggles to switch off, potentially bringing it home or extending your hours mm. because of that becomes a challenge. Yeah. So it's got its pros and cons. Yeah. But I think flex policies are important. And if anything, they're becoming the norm where people are actually asking about them in interviews. Yeah. Do you have one? Yeah, so definitely. you're going to be left behind if you don't. Yeah, yeah. And because of, I guess, the time frame that you have been working, like mm-hmm. have you seen, you've been able to see I guess this shift in, I guess, me being a little bit younger coming yeah. in and just sort of wanting a better work life future, you know, whereas before like 10 years ago, was it very different? Like, and that just wasn't even talked about? Yeah, I think for me, I'm just hyper conscious of it because that working culture affected my health quite yeah. significantly. I think in practice, it needs to be seen in the top positions. They need to be the role models mm-hmm. in um, it, for an example, to do with long working hours yeah. culture. And sitting at your desk for 15 hours sluggish is not productive. Like, um, you don't but think again, properly, yeah. But it's all, again, I, at the moment it's related to fees, there's too much work, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But there are, there are excuses and we need to become better at it because going to work shouldn't make you unwell yeah definitely yeah it should be like adding something to us not taking something away yeah and that idea that well it's your you know vacation it's your calling whatever I I've always thought that is rubbish I think it's everything else you do outside of your profession like for me I've got some farmland on the Florida Peninsula avid kind of environmentalist growing things and that all feeds into the way you choose to practice architecture, not mm. the other way around. Yeah, so. because it's really been like this I am architecture-like thing. And I remember being around some people like that who lived and breathed it. And I was like, is there something wrong with me? Because I don't want to spend all my time doing architecture things. Like, Yeah, I think it's everything other that you do in your life then feeds back. I think all you're doing is... <laughs> your job 24 yeah and and that's like I mean it's in any industry really but I guess as designers and architects we're very um ownership or protective of our work like it's really something that a lot of us I think just across the board like to use to define us mm-hmm. I, I think like and, and you know being really proud of work so I guess when it you can't see yourself maybe also putting too much of yourself into it because then when work doesn't go well you've got like nothing else if you haven't put time and energy into other hobbies or interests when work kind of falls apart you can sometimes look around yourself and be like what else is there what's you know I think it also comes down to your values and the types of work that you do too because often it's associated with things like the high end or the beautiful projects and the perfect shot and again especially later on like in recent years I'm more and more interested in the social infrastructure side of work mm-hmm. that we do and the value you get through that rather than creating beautiful buildings. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that social infrastructure can't be beautiful, yeah. but often um, it's, it's coming from a different perspective. And I think it also comes down to the 
I think I've, I've got to work on some amazing projects, but for me, it ended up being more valued is the people I'm surrounded by and working with mm-hmm. became more important to me. You spend, you do spend a lot of time at work, so aligning your values with those people and practice mm-hmm. is important. Yeah, and I think they're the bits are like I know the really adulting parts of architecture yeah. that um you have to like sort of learn and develop in because like you said like the projects you know why they are important like how you your experience working on it with the people in the team like is what you remember like why you will have like a nice thing at the end of it but if it ruined you to get there like it's just not going to be a good experience and you know and to think that that's what you have to go through every time to get a building it's like what why (laughs) like why put yourself through that like you can have a beautiful building but it's all it's more about from I think it's from the perspective of the people using it and what they require and again it comes down to the people and their values and who you're working with yeah yeah and I think um there's a big push for that whole healthy culture thing right now like it feels like it that's something that really matters to everyone not just Mm -hmm. like a nice thing to have if you work so um yeah, it's important that we talk, like keep talking about it and like the well-being and stuff of being in our architecture is something we have to keep. Yeah, and I think there's some really important and good studies at the moment happening in that well-being space in relation to architecture and also workplace culture. You can pick it and you can't develop workplace culture. You can have policies and you should have policies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, it comes down to the people um, and the dynamics of that practice. Yeah. Where that comes yeah. from. Yeah. And it does take um there's so many angles to it. Like it obviously needs to have good management and good, you know, policy and stuff like that help and then but it also requires like each individual person to like also want to you know, make it a good place to, to work at and yeah, you know and contribute, but also it's about transparency as yeah, well. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And even like being able to say that you've overworked or you've burnt out or like you're not well, you need some support in the office like it sounds like that's becoming more talked about now but maybe it wasn't or not being put in that place yeah like, yeah, yeah that as well yeah like it sounds like you know even like 10 15 years ago that was a really like hard thing for people to say oh, I'm struggling and like have you been like it sounds like you may have been able to see that come out for the better from people talking about yeah how yeah I think that comes down to trust and respect yeah. with your team at the end of the day too mm-hmm. um and I do think the younger grads coming through, I hope, I, I do genuinely think there's a bit of a different attitude around that and they're more likely to question it and call it out and I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Encourage that. Yeah, definitely. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it's our it's our future. Like, you know, even though I'm only a couple of years in, I'm just, like, I'd still like to be here in 20 years' time. So, yeah. you know, want to be part of, you know, moving forward, not being stuck. And often it's the grads that will be impacted by it the most and it's out of not necessarily in their control all the time. And at the end of the day, it's the owners that reap the benefits because it's free labour doing overtime most of the time. It should be paid overtime, but it's very often Mm -hmm. not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it can be really – It can be so easy to fall into that trap as well because, you know, you just be like, oh, I just feel a bit extra – here and there and then it turns into yeah all those yeah and if everyone else around you is doing it it becomes it's seen as the norm yeah for sure yeah I mean 
now that you've got some perspective, um, I guess like, you know, as a grad, like what would you say would be something, um, you know, like some key parts to work on or like um, prioritise as you like move through the industry to make sure you're hitting like career satisfaction yeah. and progression? Yeah, I mean, yeah, satisfied, you're going to be happy and you're going to be perform better. So mm. it's, I think it's making sure um, if you've got career goals, they align with the practice that you're working and it's the same with your values. And then when you're younger, you might not know what yeah. they are, but um, your intuition's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that alignment's important. I, for me, registration was important and I, I'm kind of of the opinion it's important. I think if you've done five years at uni and you've worked hard for that, I think registration is a natural progression and I do feel that by getting your registration, it opens the doors to all sorts of opportunities mm-hmm. that might not necessarily be there if you don't have it. And I think it's especially important for women who are often more likely to go on a career break um, mm-hmm. uh, for parental leave. Yes, that's, that's changing a little bit, but get it done earlier rather than later as mm-hmm. a tick box and just get it done. Yeah. Is and it, if you're not getting yeah. the experience where you are, you might need to shuffle practices yeah. to be able um, to get that. And I moved around practice when I was younger and it meant I got a range of experiences and perspective of how practices are one and mm-hmm. run and project types. And um, I kind of think when you're younger, no experiences bad experience because if you're not enjoying it at least it's helping you work out what you do and don't want to yeah, do exactly like you have to try and to know what it is that you want yeah. yeah and I think also just sort of talking about how like it's okay to go somewhere else and try another place I know like when I had to move from my first job to you know where I'm at now at Hame Charlie I was so scared to do it and then you know it took like some friends saying to me like it's okay to go like you need to do this for you like it's not Personal, like it is personal, but it's also not personal to the company. It's like you just gotta go where um, ever feels right, and yeah, you don't you don't get a, a lesson on that. <laughs> you just have to go out and do. Yeah, and it's it's intimidating. It's hard moving around. It's learning a whole lot of new skills and mm. things. But I think it makes you more resilient. I haven't damaged my career yeah. by moving around, but there's a point where I moved around a few times in a short period of time just because of a series of circumstances yeah yeah but it's fun mm. <laughs> we're all just trying to work yeah <laughs> yeah and like at any point did you feel like it was um like a setback in momentum like career-wise when you had to because I guess there's always like a transition period of just getting to know a new place did that ever sort of happen to you or it was all I've had moments where I've had to reassess what I want to do and what direction that mm-hmm. I want to go in. Like I had three months off from the industry um, a few years ago, just a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. to work out what um, I wanted to do. But I just needed that. I just needed that break, mm. and that's when I ended up working at the practice that I'm associated with. Yeah. Um, and I don't think if I had have had that break. I would have ended up where I am now, yeah. which is where I'm really happy to be. Yeah. I guess it's looking at it as like um, not in a negative way, you know, like time to pause and rest is also constructive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We can't be going and going all the time. 
No, it's not. That's not. We're not robots. (laughs) All right. Well, to wrap up, I'll just ask you: What is your favorite thing about architecture and design? Like, what gets you really excited to, you know, keep pursuing and working in this industry? It can be a couple of things. (laughs) Uh, For me, in recent years, it's been engagement and meeting a whole variety of really interesting people. But people within the practice, I think of them as my extended family. Mm. They're incredibly important to me. But then kind of at the front end of projects, um, understanding the clients, getting to know them and their requirements and translating that into design ideas, Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed that. Kind of the stakeholder consultation engagement, Mm -hmm. um, which can often fall short on projects that people don't make time for. I find that incredibly rewarding. Mm -hmm. Um, And now moving into more the research side of things, looking at women's progression in our industry um, and what opportunities there are uh, for change moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being part of the movement. (laughs) So good. Thank you so much for sitting down with me to have this chat. All right, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to the Designer Journals podcast. If you'd like to show your support, please subscribe or follow along, share it with your friends or leave a rating or review. You can find more content on the Instagram page. Just search for at the designer journals. Catch you next time.